0: Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Enech, her Eti to the Mummy Movie Podcast, where in this episode, we shall be looking into The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, from 1964. Before we begin, I apologise if my voice appears to be a little forced in this episode, but I am currently dealing with a cold. However, by the power of LEMSIP, we will get through this. Layout-wise, as usual, we will start with a few background facts on the film, then a section on the historical accuracy, and finally, I shall review the film. I will also say That from this point forward, although I am not going to entirely avoid spoilers, I am going to be a little more mindful of them. I am aware that these films are still almost 60 years old, but I also feel, when it comes to the Hammer horror films, very often there are wild and weird twists in the plots that I would not like to ruin. Okay, let us not waste any more time. We have just discovered the mummified body of Ra and Teth. The royal prince and favourite son of Rameses Eighth. All seems well, but little do we know there are villains plotting against us. They wish to speak the sacred words. They wish to raise the mummy. They wish to cast upon us the curse of the mummy's tomb. This film had a budget of £103,000 which adds to almost £1.7 million today. As is usual with these old mummy movies, this is a tiny budget. By this time, Hammer Horror was shooting a lot of second feature status films to be shown next to more prestigious movies. In this case, The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb was shown alongside The Gorgon which ironically starred the two main actors from The Mummy 1959, Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. In terms of the cast, Ronald Howard, that's the English actor known for playing Sherlock Holmes, not Ron Howard the director, plays John Bray. Gene Rowland, who would later go on to appear in the James Bond film You Only Live Twice, plays Annette. Terence Morgan plays Adam buchamp And Dickie Owens plays Ra and Teff. The Mummy. Now it is time for the historical accuracy section of the episode. The film starts with the camera moving around the tomb of Ra and Tef, and later in the film, around about the 45 minute mark, one of the characters, Alexander, explains some of the treasures in the scene. Firstly, he shows a statue of Anubis in dog form and says that he was the patron of mummification and guardian of the tomb. This is accurate. Anubis was the god of mummification and in the Osiris myth, arguably the most famous of all of the ancient Egyptian myths, Anubis helped Isis to mummify Osiris. In terms of Anubis as the guardian of the tomb, I explained this a little in the episode on the first half of The Mummy 1959. During the early dynastic period, so very roughly 3,150 to 2,680 BCE, dogs were associated negatively with cemeteries. Bodies were buried quite shallowly at this time, and dogs used to dig them up for a bit of a snack. Anubis, the gods commonly depicted as a dog, was used to fight like with like. Whilst other dogs harmed bodies, he protected them. This is likely his origins as being regarded as the guardian of tombs. A little later, they show a statue of the goddess Bastet. Although Alexander correctly names Bastet, there are a couple of problems here. Firstly, Bastet here is depicted in cat form. In this film, Ra Antef, the owner of the tomb, is said to be the son of Ramesses VIII. Ramesses VIII ruled for a single year in about 1130 BCE. Bastet was not commonly depicted as a cat until around about 1000 BC and was instead usually shown in lioness form at this time. Secondly, Alexander refers to Bastet as a he. In reality, Bastet, as with most cat and lion deities in Egypt, was a woman. Finally, in the tomb, Alexander says that they found the sarcophagus of Ra and Tef. The sarcophagus he is referring to is actually a coffin. Essentially, a sarcophagus is a large container, usually made of stone, in which the coffin is placed. Meanwhile, the actual coffin is a container that holds the body. In ancient Egypt, the wealthiest people would often have a sarcophagus and then three coffins, one placed inside of the other, much like Russian dolls. Further, the coffin in the film does not have any eyes. The eyes on the coffin in Egypt were not just decorative. The ancient Egyptians believed that the eyes allowed the deceased to see out into the tomb, maintaining a link with the living. Interestingly, the eyes of the deceased were usually aligned with the eyes on the coffin, as mentioned earlier, ra Antaf is said to be the son of Ramesses VIII in the film. Ramesses VIII is an interesting pharaoh to use here, as not only did he likely reign for just one year, but he is also the most obscure of all of the pharaohs from the 20th dynasty. He is the only pharaoh from this time period in which we do not know the location of his tomb. Further, he is only known from a few small inscriptions and it is unknown whether he had any children or not. Therefore, his children in the film, Ra and Tef and B are not real people and were just made up for the film. In this film, as is common with about 90% of Mummy movies, there is a flashback scene. It explains that there was a rivalry between Ra and Tef and his evil brother B, who tries to get Ra and Tef branded as a witch and exiled. In reality, As far as we can tell, the ancient Egyptians did not believe in witches. Further, if they did, it is likely that they would not have had negative connotations. Magic in Egypt, which normally translates as the word Heka, was not believed to be necessarily evil. Often, a belief in magic was utilised through things like protective amulets as well as spells. Further, in the flashback scene, several soldiers are shown riding on the back of horses. Firstly, horses in ancient Egypt were much smaller than the ones shown in the film. Secondly, although there are some instances of horse riding in ancient Egypt, they are very rare and when it comes to the military, horses were typically used to pull chariots. Later still in the scene, we see Ra become the leader of a group of nomads in the Saharan desert. During his coronation, he wears a blue crown, known as a capresh crown. This type of crown was usually worn by the pharaoh when he went to war, and so he would not have been wearing this during his coronation. Finally, in the scene, during his coronation, Rahotep is gifted an amulet which holds the sacred words of life. The film explains that this amulet, even during the reign of Ramesses VIII, is very old, and it holds the secret to raising the dead. Later in the film, one of the characters, Adam Bouchamp, who is portrayed as quite a mysterious figure, claims that the hieroglyphs on the amulet are at least 2,000 years older than the reign of Ramesses VIII and belong to the early Old Kingdom. Firstly, the Old Kingdom is a real time period. Further, hieroglyphs did change as time went on, and so there is some logic in what he is saying. However, However, as already stated, Ramesses VIII reigned in about 1130 BCE, whilst the beginning of the Old Kingdom is very roughly about 2700 BCE. Therefore, if the amulet was 2000 years older than the reign of Ramesses VIII, it would have belonged to the early dynastic period when Egypt had not long been unified, not the Old Kingdom. John Bray is unconvinced and agrees to look into this. I do feel that, as an Egyptologist, John Bray would have been able to spot this, as there are some pretty big differences when it comes to old Egyptian hieroglyphs. To put this into perspective, look back at English writing just 200 years ago and see how different it is to the writing today. Go even further, say a thousand years, and much of the writing is now incomprehensible. It is fair to say that hieroglyphs and ancient Egyptian society in general were incredibly conservative, and things did change at a slower rate. But 2,000 years is an incredibly long time, and changes would have been unavoidable. Finally, at the end of the film, it is stated that ra Antef is 3,000 years old. It does feel like in these films... 3,000 years is just a number they throw out randomly when they want something to seem old. But at least in this film, 3,000 years is about right for when he would have been born. Now it is time for the review of the film. I shall go over the parts I enjoyed first. Firstly, when they show the inside of the tomb, I like that cobwebs cover every surface and item. This may seem like quite a small thing, but up until this point, in every film, the undisturbed tomb has always looked far too clean. Having cobwebs and making the lighting darker helps to take away attention from the cheap film set and allows me to feel a little more immersed. I also did like one of the characters named Sir Giles. Essentially, in the film, Alexander, who is an entertainer and the financial backer of the expedition, wants to show the mummy across the world and make it into a spectacle. Sir Giles is morally against this and resigns as a result. Further, due to several events during the expedition, such as thefts and murders, Sir Giles quickly gets worn down and he starts to indulge too much in alcohol. It is a shame he did not have a bigger part in this film, as I feel he was one of the only genuinely likeable characters. His reliance on alcohol makes him flawed, but his moral fibre seems to be a step above everyone else in the film. When it comes to Alexander, the entertainer, I feel he would have been a good character if he had been betrayed in a more negative light. Ultimately, he is a greedy man who is happy to profit by shamelessly parading the dead, and yet the viewer is supposed to see him as just a bit cheeky and harmless. It is worth noting, I suppose, that this film was set in the 1900s, and such activities were sadly more acceptable back then. Normally, I would now go on to the aspects that I did not like in the film. However, I feel it may be more appropriate to first go over the parts I liked for the wrong reasons. We are, after all, dealing with a B-movie here, And half of the fun of these films is the unintentional humour found throughout. Firstly, I may sound like a bit of a hypocrite here, as this is an element I have actively disliked in other films, but the speed of the mummy is hysterical. With each kill, he seems to be visibly slower. In one scene, he walks up the stairs towards Annette at the speed of a snail in a wheelchair, whilst Annette just stands watching. Later in the scene, the mummy full-on punches Adam Puchamp in the face. Later still, he tries to kill John Bray. John Bray, however, just slowly shuffles backwards at a mildly quicker pace. This whole scene is great, as the mummy then gets caught in a net and surrounded by police. The police then let him go when one of the characters, whom I shall not name, starts to pray to the mummy out of nowhere. The mummy then squashes this person's head, complete with a loud squelching sound, and then just wanders off whilst two policemen shuffle after it. The actual appearance of the mummy in this film is also really funny, and from some angles, its head almost resembles that of Iggle Piggle from In the Night Garden. In one part of the film, Annette is talking to Adam about her academic upbringing. She is shown to be a very intelligent woman and has many worthwhile achievements. Adam Buchamp then states that he always finds it concerning when an intelligent woman is involved in academics. He believes that they should stay in the home. Rather than being annoyed by this, Annette sincerely agrees with him and Adam is made out to be very thoughtful for thinking this way. She even seems visibly frustrated that more men do not think this way. This part almost comes across as a parody of its own time period, and yet it is completely sincere. It's fair to say this part has not aged particularly well. Finally, when John Bray realises that the mummy has come back to life, he approaches an inspector about his theory. The inspector seems only too happy to believe that the mummy has risen from the dead and just goes along with anything that John Bray says. Finally, I shall move on to the parts of this film I did not like. Firstly, outside of one or two characters, most of the main characters were unlikable. At the beginning of the film, we see John Bray, the hero in the film, take his anger out by hitting an Egyptian worker. He goes on to claim that the Egyptians should be grateful that he is digging up their tombs and removing their treasures from the country. He even calls them greedy for wanting the treasures to remain in Egypt. He also seems to delight in the idea of the mummy being paraded around for the sake of entertainment. So essentially, he is everything that an Egyptologist should not be. It is fair to say that this film is set in 1900 and sadly, these were common beliefs back then, but it is also worth noting that in The Mummy 1959, John Banning was also portrayed as an old fashioned hero with old fashioned ideas. Although I did not like everything he stood for, I still found myself rooting for him. With John Bray, this is not the case. When it comes to Annette, once again she delights in The Mummy being used for entertainment. Further. Although she is talking about marrying John Bray, she is easily won over by Adam Bouchamp, who in himself is an entirely unlikable character. As such, I am uncertain who I am supposed to be rooting for in this film. In terms of the reviews for the film, they were mixed to poor, both contemporary and modern. I will admit I'm split on this one. This is not a good film, but I will admit I had fun watching it. More than any mummy movie before it, I found myself laughing out loud on multiple occasions, though never for the right reasons. As an actual film, this is really bad. As a B-movie, more importantly watched as a B-movie, it is very entertaining, especially in the second half of the film. Thank you very much for listening, and if you would like to hear more, please consider subscribing. Next Monday, we will be looking at The Mummy's Shroud from 1967.